Well, today, Pastor Chuck is going to ask the question, do your actions define you as a Christian? Yeah, that is a great question. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we go ahead and ask ourselves that as we welcome our senior pastor, Chuck Brewer. I'll tell you something kind of wild that you may not know. The area I'm in right now is the same climate and the same ecosystem as the land of Israel. As a matter of fact, a lot of people come from the Jerusalem area and they come to the Corona area and they go, oh my gosh, I feel so at home. The area is so similar. Now here's the thing, similar doesn't mean the same. Similar doesn't mean genuine. So if you were to wake up one morning here, how would you know whether you're here in California or you were in the promised land of Israel? Well, I'll tell you one way you'd know is Israel got their act together and they vaccinated more people more quickly and more efficiently and they have herd immunity right now. <laughs> so they're not dealing with things the way we are. <laughs> maybe too soon, maybe too soon, but that really is a way. But another way you'd know, probably a more substantial way you'd know is the fruit. The agriculture in Israel is bigger and more lush. Pomegranates are huge. And you actually look and go, how do they get that big? And whether you grew them here, they would never be the same size they are there. Why? There's something special about the land of Israel. It's God's promised land. And you know, I wanna have you know this, God wants you to live in a promised state with him. He wants you to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit, uh, being born again, uh, living a life of revival and energy and vitality. So the question is, why do so many people who call themselves Christians not really live that out? You see, the Bible tells us we should examine ourselves to see if we're really of the faith. And we're in a section of James that calls for that kind of examination. But by the way, Paul called for it too. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, Examine yourselves to see if you are faith, your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Are you for real? Am I for real? How can we test that out? Well, last week, Sawyer told us we could take a test. And the test was this, do we pass the test of love? Do we love without partiality? Now, Jesus is calling for us through his brother, James, to test something else out. Does our faith actually have results? Do we have the works that goes with a genuine faith? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, the judgment day, by the way, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said many people would say they're a Christian and they may even have a similar lifestyle but it's not the same. And so what James is gonna call for you and I to do is to take an honest look. Later on, he'll say, take an honest look in the mirror and make sure that you're really, really living out what it means to be a believer. So how does James call for us to do this? In James chapter two, verse 14, James says these words and notice how it opens. What use is it, my brethren? What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, and, no, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, is dead being by itself. Real faith has works. Real faith can be seen. I want you to know that. It's not that we're saved by our works, but when we are saved, we have works. And it makes a difference in the lives of other people. You can know, tangibly know, that someone's faith is real by the effect it's having in the way they love and care for people uh, who are in need. Uh, one time I took Pam on a date. And uh, I took her to an olive garden in Pasadena. She was so excited. So as we're walking in, I see a homeless man sitting across the street on the curb. And I could tell he was homeless, he was cold, he was hungry. So we go in and we have an incredible dinner. Uh, we have an incredible time together. But what Pam didn't know is I had got up and I went over to the waitress, our server. And I said, I want to order another meal, but don't let my wife know. And as soon as we're done, I want you to bring it boxed to me. And so I end up paying, and we laugh and joke with the, the person who was serving us. And then they came back with this boxed meal. And Pam goes, what's that? And I said, Pam, wait till you see. And we walked outside, and I said, come on. And we walked across the street, and we walked up to this homeless man. And I said, are you hungry? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I got a great meal for you. And I gave him the food, and you should have saw him. He got even kind of emotional. I said, Jesus loves you. I wish I could do more, but God bless you. He goes, thank you. God bless you. And I turn, and Pam's got tears. She's really crying. That to her was more meaningful. That to her was more romantic. Get ready. More romantic than the meal we had just had. But you might be saying, well, Chuck, you know, does that make your faith genuine? I'm going to tell you that's not where I'm going. Get ready. It's because Pam's faith is genuine. It's because you get around my wife, Pam, she loves, she cares. No one misses Jesus is in her because of the love that comes out of her. The way she genuinely makes a difference in the lives of other people. One night we were watching the news and there was a story of a group of children who had gone through some of the most difficult, even horrific things you could imagine. And again, I look over and Pam's crying. And she said, I don't know how, but God has got to put me in their presence. God has got to open the door so we can make a difference. And I'll be honest, I sat there thinking, well, okay, great idea, Pam, but it's never going to happen. But she actually prayed it would. And it was only within about three days that a door opened for her to meet those kids, to meet them and make a difference in their life, which, by the way, is ongoing to this day. And other people have been able to rally with Pam to go and make genuine difference in the lives of these amazing children who have resilience and risen above. But the thing is, they would never look at Pam and say that Pam said, be warned and be filled and did nothing. They know that Pam took action. Pam had the works of faith that made the difference. In 1 John 3.16, it says, we know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And so what? So we should lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. 
indeed and in truth. So if I have genuine faith, I'll know that. I can pass the test of having genuine faith because there are other people whose lives are better, other people whose lives are, are different, other people who can tangibly know that we showed love to them. And we're a church that does that. We're a church that calls for you to sponsor children in under-resourced areas of the world. And by the way, what's so special about that is the children, especially in Africa that we sponsor, in Nairobi, Kenya, in one of the worst slums imaginable, they know who you are. You may never meet them, although you can. By the way, you can travel and meet them. But even if you never do, they know who you are and they know you by name and they care and they walk around. I want to tell you this, as much as the, the $38 a month makes a difference so that they get medical care, dental care, a school uniform, an education, a Christian education, by the way, and food every single day, as much as that matters, do you know what matters more? That they, they have value, that they, they walk around. When I go to Kenya... I know all the other people who've been to Kenya, they'll, they'll tell you, the kids run up and they'll say these words, I'm crossroads, I'm crossroads, because they have value. And that's what Christians do. We make a difference in thousands of lives in Kenya, and more lives than that in, in Palestine, and more lives than that in Cambodia and in other parts of the world. We also do it locally. And you know what? We want to be a part of doing that locally. Our food bank, our food bank is a lifeline to so many people during this crisis. And so I hope that all of you do what I do, and, and I just want to ask you to join me in that. When you go to the grocery store and you're buying food for you and your family, why not buy food for someone else and drop it by and make a difference? Some of you are watching online going, well, I can't get to Corona and do that. Well, I want to tell you what you can do is we have a way through Amazon that you can be a part of making sure people have food and don't go hungry in a season like this. And God, God wants you and I to have a faith that is so real, that is so genuine, that we make a difference like that. You see, work shows how genuine our faith is. Listen to what James says again. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Then he goes, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by the works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder, which, by the way, I think that's interesting. The demons believe in God. You know there's not an atheist demon. <laughs> Am I the only one? Uh, there's not an atheist demon. But the demons believe and shudder because they know the power of God. And you and I, when we believe, we should have such a, a responsibility then to take that belief and do something with it. That's what he says. So in verse 20 it says, But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Faith without works is useless. Um, I don't want you to miss that. Works don't get you into heaven, but works prove that heaven has gotten into you. Brian Loritz said that, and I love it. Listen to what Brian Loritz said again. Works don't get you into heaven, but works prove that heaven has gotten into you. And so Jesus said these words, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works. I want to stop there. I hope you saw that on the line right there. That they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. See, here's the thing. We don't do works to show off. We do works to show him. 
You see, we do works that, that people might know that God is real and he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. And if I love Jesus and you love Jesus, James says, then your faith is going to have a use <laughs> and not be useless. It's going to have a use. It's going to have a verification. So James says, we need to learn that. We need to live that. And then he points to something pretty amazing. He points to Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. He had such great faith, you're going to hear this in a minute, he was the friend of God. And everybody who has faith in God and faith in Jesus becomes a child of Abraham, the father of our faith. And so you become that by adoption, unless you're Jewish, and you have it by uh, uh, birth in, in the Jewish faith. But listen to what it says in James 2.21 about Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? I want you to think about that. If you're not aware of what happened, Abraham was living in a metropolis. He was living in the, uh, uh, the most luxurious city of his time. It was a city called Ur. Uh, they had air conditioning. They actually had an uh, indoor uh, uh, system, sewage system, which, by the way, almost nowhere in the ancient world had that. They had libraries. They had theaters. They had uh, a thriving commercial area. And you know what God said to Abraham? Leave it. Go. I want you to go to a land I'll show you, a land you've never been. And Abraham did. He had such faith in God. He said, all right, I'm going to go. And, and he took his family, his immediate family, and he went to what would become the promised land. It wasn't the promised land then. It was the land that would be promised to him, which is why it became the promised land. And he began to wander an area of the world that didn't have all the luxury, didn't have all the things you could imagine. And then one night God said to Abraham, go outside, Abraham. And Abraham went outside and he looked up into the sky and he said, Lord, you said I would have a child with Sarah and we don't have a child. And he said, I'm getting older. And the Lord said, look up, look up. And he looked up into the night sky. And the Lord said, do you see the stars? One day with Sarah, you're going to have a child and then you're going to have more descendants than you can count. More descendants than the stars you see in the heavens right now. And he stood and it says, and Abraham believed. He was too old to have a child then, but he believed. Sarah was too old to have a child then, but she believed. And you know what God did? This is so wild to me. God said, I promise it'll happen. And then 10 years later, it didn't happen. 20 years later, it didn't happen. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah's over 90. And God comes and visits again. And he said, by the time I come here next year, you'll have a child. And the Bible says that Sarah laughed. She laughed. But a year later, she had a child, and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. God, God brought them joy. And Abraham believed. He believed. But then 10, 20, more likely 30 years later, we don't know the exact time, it says God tested Abraham. And God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son that you had with Sarah, and I want you to offer him on an altar to me. I want you to sacrifice him to me. And what blows my mind is the next morning he got up and said to Isaac, let's go. It would have been an area much like the one you see behind me. They would have walked together in the midst of a wilderness. And Isaac said, where are we going? And then he said, but we don't have anything to sacrifice. And Abraham said, God will provide. And they went to a particular hill that God had told Abraham to go to. And he went up that hill. 
and he came to a particular spot and he built an altar. And this is another part of the story many people aren't thinking about, is that Abraham's probably right around 130 years old. Isaac could have overpowered him. Isaac could have stopped him. But Abraham in faith was offering Isaac to God because he knew that Isaac had not had a child yet. So God would not break that promise. So by doing it, he must raise him from the dead. But Isaac had enough faith in God and his father to reach out his hands and say, bind me. And he got on the altar. I think he probably had to get on the altar himself. I don't think Abraham could have lifted him. And he laid there and Abraham took this huge knife and he was ready to drive it into his son. And God said, don't, don't, stop, because now I know you love me. Now I know you really have faith in me. Why? He visibly showed it by being willing to give up the thing he loved the most. Now, by the way, God stopped him, and they heard the sound in the thicket, and there was an animal there that they would be able to offer as a sacrifice. God truly provided in that moment. But here's what you need to know. Either on that exact spot or within eye distance of that exact spot, God would later offer his only begotten son, Jesus, for you and for me. But Abraham had faith. Abraham's faith was visible. James said, you can see it. You could see it. And James goes on to say this about Abraham. He says, you see that faith was working with his works. As a result, the faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Soren Kierkegaard actually said this is the second most important story in the Bible. I think that's interesting. The first is Jesus and the death of Jesus on the cross for us. But Kierkegaard said, Abraham's story is the second most important, and it's the one that calls us to ask a question about, is our faith genuine? And what is the question Kierkegaard says we have to answer? Would you give up what is most precious to you for God? Would you ever hold back on God? Would you truly, truly be willing to live a life of obedience, a life of faith, a life where people can see it. And so Kierkegaard said, that's the question we're called to have to answer when we look at Abraham. And that's what James is saying too. James is saying, you and I need to be willing to really live this out, really make a difference. See, James says three things happen. Don't miss this. Three things happen when you have faith that has works. Faith that is so real, there are works. Number one, your faith will be perfected. Uh, don't miss this. In other words, my faith grows, my faith strengthens, my faith is perfected when I begin to take action on my faith. So what are you doing right now in faith? Do you tithe to God? So many people don't tithe. Why? I, I don't think it's because you don't love God. I think it's because you don't have enough trust in God to do it. And uh, recently we've had two different women who don't have the resources most of us have, who both have let me know that they're going to be doing a full tithe to God, and both have found God coming through in huge ways. Guess what? Their faith has been perfected. Their faith has been strengthened. So tithing is one thing you should do. Serving's another. God gave you a spiritual gift. Who are you serving? Uh, by the way, taking care of other people beyond the tithe is another. What child are you sponsoring? Are you giving to the food bank? Are you making sure your neighbor's okay? Are you loving the people in your world, whether it's work or in other places, in such a visible way that they know you're a Christian and you're sharing your faith with them? Do you know the number one reason people don't share their faith is fear? 
and fear and faith never go together. So you need more faith. And the more you share, your faith will be perfected. So James said your faith will be perfected. He said the next is you'll be made righteous. Righteousness increases. Righteousness grows. When you live by faith and you have the works that go with it, you actually become more righteous, which means you live more rightly. <laughs> a lot of people go, what is righteousness? It means to be right. And, and you know what? Start living a right life, a good life, a life you never have to apologize for. And then James said this, you will be the friend of God. You will be the friend of God. Your relationship with God will become deeper, more vital, more vibrant, more alive, and definitely more real. You'll start tuning into the voice of God. Think back to Abraham. Abraham was told by God, offer Isaac to me, and he got up the next morning and went. He didn't say, God, is that you? He didn't say, was that just me in my own mind? He knew God's voice so well, he could act in the moment. Why? He and God were friends. And you know what? God wants your relationship to grow to the depth that God is your friend. And he wants to be your friend. He not only wants to be your father, he wants to be your friend. By the way, all of us who are fathers of, of children who are older, we love it when we go from the stage where they're just our children that they become our friend. And that friendship becomes vital. And so God wants to be a friend with you. And so James says, that's what happens when you have faith and works and the works that come from faith. James 2 verse 24 says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body is without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If you don't know who Rahab is, now let's go back in time. Abraham now has passed the test with Isaac and given birth now to children, who Isaac would even have more children, which would give birth to more children. And God had told Abraham this, all of your descendants one day will go live for 400 years in the land of Egypt. And then once the wickedness of the Amorites is complete, I will call them back to this land to let this be their land. So what happened, most of you know, is that the Egyptians began to enslave the Israelites in the land of Egypt. Then God sent Moses to be their deliverer and to lead them out in a great exodus. And then God, after 40 years of time, had Moses go to heaven and he entrusted Joshua. Joshua with the leadership of the, the nation of Israel. And they were on the border of the promised land and they sent in spies to see what they would be facing. Two of the spies went to a city called Jericho. And in that city, uh, the word got out, spies were there. And so they tried to catch them and arrest them. And Rahab, who was a prostitute, she hid them. Uh, she risked her own life. She risked her own freedom and hid them. And she told them, I know the God you serve is going to give this city to you. And everybody deep down knows that God, what he did in Egypt, what he'll do here. And she goes, I want to ask you, will you protect me? She chose, she chose to honor God in that moment. She chose to risk her life for God. That's what James is saying. Do you see what she did? She was willing to do anything for God. She would love God more than anyone and more than anything, which is a sign of discipleship. And God honored that. So when the city of Jericho fell, she and her family were protected. Then she was brought in to be a part of the nation of Israel. And she ended up falling in love 
and having a child. And she ended up being one of the people in the very line of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? She became a, a mother and a grandmother and a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus because she was the friend of God, because she had a faith that was real, because she was willing to do what God asked her to do. And you and I need to do that too. You and I need to live that way. You see, God's great calling in our life is to have faith that is genuine. And you pass the test of faith when you have works. So how are you doing? Where are you at? Are you completely committed or are you holding back? God doesn't want you to hold back because when you hold back on God, the reality is you're holding back on yourself. You're missing out on so much and so much more. And God is waiting to give it to you. I feel like sometimes what it is, is we're holding on to this. If we would just open our hands, then now we're free to accept everything God wants to pour in our life. And so God loves you so much, he gave his only begotten son to you, for you. Are you willing now to give yourself and everything within you and everything about you to him? If not, if you're not doing that right now, I want to call you to make that decision. I want to call you to open your heart to the Lord. I want to call you to make that commitment and make it real and complete. The Bible says there are two steps we make in coming to God. One is a private commitment where we pray and we say yes to Jesus. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you can do that right now. But God, God wants you to be so real that you take that private moment and you get public with it. That's one of the works you do. And so what you would need to do is to let us know you're saying yes to God. Let us know you're opening your heart to him by going to crossroadschurch.family and clicking on I made this decision, clicking on I said yes. So right now, I want to take the time to lead you in that prayer. I want us to pray it together. So I'm going to say some words just like if I were doing your wedding vows. And if you think about them and make them yours, they'll become real for you. And this moment will become meaningful to you. So let's pray right now and talk to Jesus. Lord, I pray for anybody who needs to open their heart to you, commit their life to you. Some need to recommit and come back to you, Lord. They need to, to, to say, I want revival. I want to be back. I want to live that life that I used to live when I knew you. Others need to pray this prayer for the very, very first time. So God, I pray right now they can sense this is their moment. They can sense this is their time. And I pray they're going to open their hearts and say yes. And if that's you, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone that's holding me back because I want to be yours and I want to be yours completely so I commit my life to you and I ask you Lord to fill me with your spirit fill me with your love and make me brand new and this I pray in Jesus name amen and if you prayed that prayer praise God we're so excited for you but you need to let us know that's that next step that's that work moment from a faith that's real Go to crossroadschurch.family and click on the fact that you've made this decision. And we're going to get back to you. We want to give you a gift, a copy of The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, uh, yours for free, so you can know and discover the God's purpose for you. But we could not be more excited for you. And so I want to say 
praise God for your decision.